Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Guys, we are back after a thrilling six overtime, 43-41 Virginia Tech win. We got Evan, we got Doug, all three of us together. Before we really get into this, though, I do want to address the elephant in the room. I went down to Blacksburg in an RV, and I lost my voice due to lack of sleep, so I'm struggling a little bit, but hopefully we can get through this whole thing. Uh, I know Evan stopped by the RV. What would you think of the setup? Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad for a couple post-graduate struggling post-student frat boys. I guess it was all right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like 12 of us there, so it was extremely hard to find a place to sleep. And, you know, we only had 48 hours in Blacksburg, so you need every opportunity to check out Tots and Sharkies and Hokie House. I'm sure you know what I mean, right, Doug? Yeah, I guess. I was just wondering how uh, how much work you got done at, at your real job today. Yeah, it was it was tough today, but, you know, we pulled through, got it done. And here we are recording the podcast on Monday night. Uh, awesome victory for Virginia Tech. Uh, both Evan and I were down there. Doug, unfortunately, was not down there. Would have made the big three. But this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This game, I mean, this Virginia Tech-North Carolina game was more than a game. It is the epitome of this rivalry. Both teams were wildly imperfect, and it was amazing to watch nonetheless. I felt like both teams should have won the game, and both teams should have lost at various points in overtime. It was a roller coaster of emotions, especially for all the fans out there in Lane Stadium, put on repeat. With each overtime, it felt like one team was destined for a victory only to lose those hopes to be crushed like a Sugar Ray Leonard liver shot. Six overtimes between two schools that absolutely hate each other. There was a lot of bad blood. I talked about it last week in the podcast. It was like a literal image of Dax Hollyfield after the game when blood was gushing from his nose all the way down to his chin. This game was an absolute classic and will one day be presented on the ACC network with the dramatic music, with the bass and the trumpets, 
that goes through all the highlights and has some third-party announcer hired years after the game to re-commentate over the game, adding even more dramatic analysis for the sixth overtime. Like, let me get out my commentator voice here. Quincy Patterson takes the ball through the Carolina defensive line. Touchdown, Virginia Tech. Lane Stadium is in pandemonium. The Hokies win a thriller. Enter Sandman is blasting. Okay, maybe I, maybe I took a little far here. But all that being said, this was probably the most fun I've ever had watching a Virginia Tech game. From the highs to the lows, it was incredible. But I want to hear the emotions from you guys. So let's start off with Doug. Doug, what did you think about this game? How did you watch it? And what was your experience like witnessing this historical game? I was just over at a buddy's house watching it, but uh, it was quite a <laughs> quite a game in terms of the back and forth. And um, just when you saw it, Virginia Tech was taking control of it, yet Hooker go down with the injury at the end of the first half. Um, and that was a pretty put a big uh, big dagger there at the end of the first half in terms of momentum. But then Willis comes in and throws a touchdown, so you think all was great. Um, and then comes in, Patterson takes over. Carolina looks like they've taken control after that trick play. Come back the other way, Patterson rips off a 53-yard touchdown, and then obviously you get into the back and forth with overtime. So um, just a roller coaster of emotion um, in terms of <laughs> just who you think has control of the game, and then and then obviously flip the other way several times. What do you think, Evan? Being in the press box, did it get really emotional in there, or were you know people strapped to their seats? Because I mean that was one of the most fun games I've ever watched. Uh, covering Virginia Tech. So what was it like from your end? Well, the overall vibe in the uh, in the press box was, dear God, just let somebody win. <laughs> it just it just got to the point where it was, uh, you know, every story we had written, every, you know, everybody you could hear, the, 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 the computers, the laptops just kind of flying as through overtime. But then you'd have to delete everything you just wrote because you would think, you know, Here's a perfect opportunity for Virginia Tech to win, and they didn't win. Here's an opportunity for UNC to win, and they didn't take advantage. Um, and it just became a lot of, well, that paragraph didn't work. Let's gut that. Uh, um, you know, all the beat writers, um, you know, the, some of the radio guys, uh, guys like me that were up there um, with, uh, you know, 24-7 sports and, and our network, it was uh, – it was definitely interesting because you get to the point where you just really want Saudi to go ahead and, and, and capitalize. And for a while, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, I don't remember who said it, but somebody characterized it the best uh, in the tunnel earlier today, or it may have been yesterday, but I read it today of you win. No, I want you to win. No, I want it more. No, now you want it more. And it just kept going back and forth and back and forth. Um, but finally, you know, the game ended. Um, it, it was interesting to see the new uh, overtime rule, the new 2019 rule, where after, uh, was it four overtimes, you go to two-point conversions. I thought that was a little interesting wrinkle, um, kind of shortened up what could have been a very, very long night um, of back and forth and overtime. But 
you know, it was it was definitely the longest game I've ever covered. It was interesting from start to finish. I don't know that I've ever been involved with a game that had three different quarterbacks throwing touchdowns in a competitive game. We're not talking, you know, garbage time. And, um, you know, seeing Quincy Patterson kind of grow up uh, throughout the night, you know, it was, it was definitely interesting to watch um, from the press box and kind of get uh, the vibe from up there. Um, you know, and, and they were talking throughout most of the game up there as well that uh, Virginia Tech may or may not have made history being the first Power 5 team to not start a single senior. Nobody could really put their finger on if that was actually the first team to ever do it at the Power 5 level. But, you know, it was it was an interesting game to see all the way through. Um, it was exhausting, uh, but it was, uh, it, it was it was definitely one that I'll remember for a long time. Yeah, and I do have to say – Lane Stadium, I mean, all those people in the stands were just on their feet the entire time. You would hear cheers from the UNC people anytime that they were in a position to win. And like you said, it was just, you know, someone just win the game. I mean, it was so ridiculous. It got to the point where it just felt like so much past the game that there was so much emotion invested into it that people just wanted to see what the result was. And Luckily for Virginia Tech fans, it was a win for them. Uh, I do want to acknowledge some specific players slash plays. I know there's a lot to look at here, so we can all give different perspective. Uh, but let's start off with the quarterbacks. I mean, they were the big story in this game for Virginia Tech. Hendon Hooker starts out strong, but then is sidelined due to a nasty-looking leg injury. Ryan Willis comes in, delivers a touchdown, you know, looks good, uh, but then he starts panicking and then delivered an absolute prayer behind his back. He's benched. He has a short leash. And honestly, honestly, that was an egregious mistake. So I don't blame the staff for benching him in that situation. Uh, he was a good teammate throughout it all. But uh, again, you know, you expect more from a redshirt senior there. But then Quincy Patterson, the third string quarterback, jumps in and leads the Hokies to a victory. Evan, let's go right back to you. What did you make of the performance from Thick Vic, a.k.a. Quincy Patterson? Yeah, you know, I think Quincy, we saw him grow up a little bit. I think a lot of people might look at, uh, you know, the game plan for him or, you know, kind of how he played. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the takeaways really are throughout the fan base, but, you know, he was given about six or seven plays that they installed that that week leading in. That's about all you're going to get for a third-string quarterback, um, you know, and, and in a catastrophic, uh, you know, uh, situation, third-string quarterback gets a chance to play. He's going to run a very limited playbook. Uh, I mean, he, he had, you know, maybe just a few pages uh, out of the Virginia Tech playbook. Um, but he executed to 100%. I mean, it was it was really fascinating to watch. You know, he, uh, you know, he, he he showed that he can be a power runner. I think we all kind of knew that. Um, he's a little bit more of a power runner now than he used to be. He used to try to be a little bit el- elusive, but he looks like he's grown into his body a little bit. Um, and, and throwing the ball, I think he showed a lot of ability. Now, the question is, can he continue it? Is he somebody that can uh, be consistent with it throwing day in and day out, which is the big issue he's always had is consistency. Um, but, you know, the, the few plays where he was asked to throw the ball, he moved the ball down the field really well. He, he showed off his arm a little bit. 
Um, you know, the uh, the slant that he threw to Trey Turner that was incomplete in overtime was a beautiful throw. Uh, the throw to Damon Hazelton on the fourth down was a beautiful throw. Um, you know, he wasn't he wasn't asked to throw the ball 35 times, but the the six or seven attempts he had, he he looked good doing it. I don't think there's any play that really stands out of, you know, why did he make that throw? What was he looking for? Was he way off target? I didn't see any of that. Um, and I think that his players around him helped him out. Now, I do think some of the, uh, the throwing that he was able to complete, not to take anything away from him, but I think that UNC was not game planning at all for him. And they definitely weren't game planning for him to throw the ball. So I think some of that may have helped. Now that doesn't take away the fact that, you know, he had a, a good release. He put good velocity on the ball, put it where it needed to be. But I do think a little bit of that is that North Carolina wasn't overly prepared for him. Um, but, you know, I think it was exciting to see him kind of grow up uh, in that role. And we'll see what he can do moving forward with Hendon Hooker's injury kind of an unknown right now. Uh, by week comes at a great week for him to try and get healthy. Um, but, you know, I think it'll be interesting going into Notre Dame. Where does Quincy Patterson fall? Does he get a chance to play? Is he possibly the starter if Hendon Hooker can't go? Uh, it's going to be interesting over the next two weeks. But, you know, with this week as a kind of a, a, an off week, um, I think I expect a lot of the, the starters to get a rest. I expect Hendon Hooker to very minimally play, if at all, this week going into the bye week. And Quincy Patterson should be getting all first team reps try to expand his knowledge, expand that playbook a little bit. Uh, if, if he does have to be the guy at Notre Dame, give him more than six plays to go out, try to go out there and win it. But it was exciting to see him. I, I think that he's really grown as a quarterback. He's not there yet. He is still raw. Um, but he showcased a lot of potential, and I think the future is bright for him. I mean, there is this narrative that because of what we saw last year with Ryan Willis – that it was like any other quarterback on the roster was incapable of doing anything other than maybe one package where everyone knows that they're going to run, both Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson. And now in the last several weeks, we've seen both of them deliver on key throws and make huge plays. So it seems like it's a really good situation for Virginia Tech. Obviously, the injury hurts to Hendon Hooker, uh, and we'll see what that is. It doesn't look to be too serious, but it seems like there's three very capable quarterbacks on the roster. So, Doug, I mean, you know, this didn't go how our predictions or preview went, but uh, for Quincy Patterson, I mean, what did what did you see out of him? I mean, pretty yeah. Give a lot of credit to him for just being ready to play, and um, I don't think anybody would have been shocked or surprised if if him as a third string quarterback who has only played in garbage time this year and a couple plays last year I don't think anybody would have been surprised if he came in and kind of had a deer in the headlights look and didn't didn't really know what to do but it, he was I mean he looked like a quarterback in terms of you know his handful of plays he was able to he was able to execute um, you know, Tech didn't have any trouble getting in and out of the huddle or any of that um, that you would expect from a guy that just hasn't gotten a lot of reps in practice over the last couple of weeks. Um, so you got to give a ton of credit to him. Just, you know, his playbook, as Evan said, just, you know, it was a third string playbook. You can only run, you know, a certain amount of passes in particular there. But, you know, he made the best of it. And obviously he's a, he's a load on the ground. And, um, 
you know, going forward, I think, you know, if, if he's the number one guy, if Hooker's still or if he's the number two, he's obviously going to get a lot more reps. So you can expand his his playbook, his, you know, his throwing plays and all that a little bit more. Um, I think still he's, you know, he's still got a lot of work to do throwing the football, so I'm not sure he can get the full playbook or ask what, you know, they were asking him and Hooker to do as far as throwing the football. But you can definitely um, get him a little more comfortable, a little more, a little more diversity in terms of what they're trying to do throwing the football, um, and then see what see what he can do from there. Um, you know, obviously with Hooker's injury and particularly the way he plays quarterback, it's going to be something to watch is if that you know lingers around for any amount of time. Um, Patterson might be the guy against Notre Dame and might have a role for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, Patterson looked great. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can diversify that playbook uh, in two weeks after this bye week for Notre Dame if he is going to be the guy trotting out there with the ones. Uh, There's a lot of quarterback powers, and I even remember when he had that 53-yard touchdown run. Before that play, I looked at that formation. I was like, they're going to do it again. They're going to run the same exact play that they've been running 15 times before. I can already see Twitter now. They're going to be yelling at Brad Cornelson. As soon as he hikes the ball and he's taking it, I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And then he breaks through, and I'm like, I never doubted you for a second. So, yeah, he showed a, he showed a lot of raw ability out there. And, um, yeah, so he looked good, but in the overtime periods – I'm curious to hear your guys' take on this, by the way. What what did you think of the overtime rules? Because I'll be quite honest here, I did not know that was a thing. I thoroughly enjoyed the LSU-Texas A&M game last year, even though it kept me up till 2 o'clock in the morning. But what did you think of the new rules? And it's kind of strange that Virginia Tech and UNC were the first teams to go through it. But, Evan, we can start with you. Uh, what did you, what did you think of, of that rule? I think it's an interesting little wrinkle that they uh, that the NCAA has put in. Um, you know, I, I think that in the in, in the uh, perseverance of time constraints for not only the fans but for the players and the coaches as well, especially for the away team, I think it definitely kind of helps. Um, so you, you don't have these long drawn out games. But you know, it was it was interesting. Um, you're not you're not alone in not knowing that rule. There was very few people in the press box that knew what was going to happen. And I think that's why the refs even had to go and kind of reiterate um, the rules, you know, from the field of the, you know, when you go into the two point conversion type of, uh, of overtime um, format. But, you know, I think that it was, it was interesting. I think that it adds a little value to the game. Um, it, it, it kind of shortens it a little bit. Yeah. I have no, I have no problems with the way that that, that overtime period is handled. What do you think Doug in favor, not in favor? I think I'm in favor of it. I mean, at that point, after what is that, the fifth overtime, you start doing that. Um, you know, you kind of went back and forth with the old system four times, and you know, overtime is, I guess, supposed to finish off the game. And I think four overtimes is enough to figure out that way is not going to exactly work. And it's only going to come up a couple times. Um, but I think, in particular, in this case, it. With Patterson playing quarterback and how limited he was, it, it clearly gave, it was a huge advantage for Virginia Tech to shrink that field and all of a sudden only have to go three yards with 
Patterson, who's strength is running that quarterback power. So, um, you know, I was pretty confident in Tech's chances to, you know, complete the two points once they got to that point was kind of the, the first four overtimes where, you know, you, you were trying to finish off base with a red zone possession um, over and over again, which I think is a tough ask. But obviously it's because Tech can do it consistently. Um, tough ask for Patterson there. But once you get him inside the five, I mean, that's exactly the situation where Virginia Tech wanted to, wanted to be in there at the end of the game. Yeah, and I will say that for the defense, too, allowing so many big plays in that game, I felt like it helped them because when they're in the red zone, I mean, or even when they're playing their goal line packages, they don't have to worry about those sorts of things. They're just playing in front of them. But, yeah, I mean, I I don't know how I feel about it. I I felt in the moment that it was kind of rough for both teams, that both teams deserved, you know, to take something out of that game. But, I mean, if it wasn't that, what would it be? You know, send out Oscar Bradburn for a punt off? I mean, I would be in favor of that. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like no matter what, it, it was going to be something arbitrary and might as well be two-point conversions at that point. Did uh, did they announce to, like, the crowd the rules? Or did everybody make clue what was going on? Yeah, they they announced it. The It was funny. Everyone was – talking over each other and then all of a sudden the ref gets on the mic and the whole place goes quiet for the first time all night and they're like what is going on you know at that point all the all the alcohol faded so everyone's really dialed in and uh yeah they explained the whole thing all right so now i want to dive into some of the individual performances outside the quarterback position so let's start on the offensive side of the game um, I do want to bring up this big stat that I found out today, uh, courtesy of Pro Football Focus. Luke Tenuta, who is in at right tackle for a large majority of that game, played 59 snaps. He allowed zero quarterback pressures and zero penalties. Now, Evan, we were talking a little bit earlier today, just on the phone casually, about this offensive line. You want to reiterate that point about – uh, how young and and maybe under recruited this front five is, and how well they're performing. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that when you look at uh, Virginia Tech's offensive line, even if you don't look at their top five, look at the top, you know, seven, eight guys right now. It's you know we got Christian Darsaw, who was a two-star recruit out of high school. Um, he, he had some academic issues, didn't have very many offers at all. Virginia Tech found him. Um, you know, knew that he would have to go to prep school, and that, and that was the year that could really help him develop both in the classroom and on the field. Um, so he he was an under-recruited two-star guy, came in last year, freshman starter, freshman All-American uh, after, you know, one year at Fourth Union. Um, then next to him, uh, Lisita Smith, when he's healthy, he's a former tight end out of Georgia. He had a decent amount of offers. Um, everybody kind of knew he'd be an offensive lineman, but he's not an offensive lineman by trait, wasn't one at a high school, um, was just kind of a big body athletic tight end that you had a feeling he would transition to the offensive line, but he had no technical training um, at that position. Uh, you know, if you replace him, you have Austin Cannon, a walk-on from Fork Union, um, you know, zero real college, uh, you know, offers coming his way, wanted to go to Virginia Tech, hardworking guy. He's kind of like the Sam Rogers of the Virginia Tech offensive line, if that makes sense. He's just a hardworking guy that 
um, you know, is ready to, to put in the work every day. Um, then you have Brian Hudson. He was highly rated. I mean, he was a four-star guy at center, or he's playing center, but he wasn't a center in high school. He was a tackle. Um, you know, so really on the job training there for the last couple of weeks, um, you know, next to him, Doug Nestor, another big time talented guy, but a true freshman. I mean, he, he, he flipped from Ohio state, had offers from all over the country. It's not a shock that he, he is playing early, um, you know, based on his talent, but it is interesting that Virginia Tech's relying on him to be a starter at guard. Um, and, you know, next to him, Silas Danzi, he was a two-star, very low three-star guy playing defensive end, defensive tackle in high school, went to Fork Union, another guy with academic issues, um, and they turned him into an offensive lineman, and he's been one ever since. But he's another guy, didn't have much on the, you know, on the job training out of high school, wasn't an offensive lineman by trade. And then Luke Tenuta, mid-three-star guy, decent offer list, nothing extravagant obviously the son of a uh, of a coach um so that does play into it a little bit but he was another guy that was a defensive end he wasn't really an offensive lineman in high school there were some questions on if he had the the, uh the abilities to be an offensive lineman at this level um and he's shown that he has the ability to be very very good in my opinion it's still early but he's showing some big time flashes of being a really good uh offensive lineman and the thing to watch with Tenuta, you know, we commented about it all the time in his recruitment um, and through his redshirt year, that he's a guy that will probably end up north of 320 when he's when he's at his biggest, and he's still going to look thin. He has an amazing frame to carry weight. Um, he's still growing. He's probably close to six eight eight right now, uh, and just he's a guy that's still growing and maturing into his body and into his strength. And I think we're going to see him really explode and kind of take that next step of being an offensive tackle. And I know right now he's still kind of splitting reps with Silas Danzi, but, you know, I think he's got a lot of potential to really take that, that right tackle job and kind of make it his own. And then see if Silas moves into guard. I think he's more suited there. I think he, he's, his body types a little bit better. There's athleticism. I think can be utilized at guard a little bit, but, you know, I really like Luke Tenuta. He's one of those guys, you know, we kept saying uh, over at BT Scoop that he, he was going to be a guy that um, could eventually be a pretty big-time player. I think we saw a little bit of potential there. I don't think anybody really saw him being this early. Um, but, yeah, I think that he's a guy that really does have a lot of potential and we're just now really scratching the surface because he's probably only two years into his offensive line journey so far. Uh, and he's still gaining weight, still growing into his body. When they, when everything's clicking on all cylinders, I think he's going to be, um, you know, really, really a good player for the Hokies. Yeah, it seems like this offensive line is just a mismatch of just different types of, of talents from all over. And Vance Vice is somehow making it work. It wasn't pretty in the beginning of the season, and it certainly isn't perfect. But it is interesting how things are coming along. And it seems like the unit is slowly improving week after week. Um, but moving on from the offensive line, Doug, you can you can handle this one. We've been talking about it for so long, but finally, Trey Turner and Damon Hazelton on the field at the same time. I mean, they they took it away from us for so long, and now here they are and combining for three touchdowns, the big fourth and three from Quincy in overtime. Uh, a really ballsy call there, but. 
you know, what did you make of those two guys on the field? Yeah, it was great to see them, you know, back there for the first time really all year. I don't think they've played too many snaps. Maybe just a couple against Duke they played together, I guess. But um, just exactly what we thought it was going to be in terms of how do you, you know, you're not going to be able to shade coverage one way or the other with Hazelton and Turner on the field at the same time. Um, obviously, Turner got loose on that on that double pump um, early to open up the scoring. I mean, the touchdown from Patterson on the, the fourth down to, to Hazelton. I mean, <laughs> just fourth down game on the line, a cornerback holding your right arm, and Hazelton just casually brings it in with his left left hand, pins it against his body and for a touchdown to tie the game. I mean, just huge plays, and that's, that's exactly what we've been talking about all year in terms of those two guys together. Um, take your poison. They're going to be able to make plays and make catches. Hazelton's proven his worth. Um, obviously, he has a case of the drops um, every now and then, but when he's when he's on and, and playing well and wants to play well and really when Virginia Tech needs a big play, he's a, he's a guy that they can go to. Um, I think he proved that there. I think one thing I wish, you kind of wish that Hooker hadn't got hurt there because he was, I mean, he was playing really, really well kind of carving him up. I think he was 8 of 12 or something as it took when, when he went down with the injury. Um, so they kind of get, you get your Hazleton and your Turner back on the field for the first time, and then then you lose your your quarterback halfway through. But um, for those two guys, you throw in James Mitchell, you throw in Dalton Keen. Um, Tavian Robinson had a big catch there in the fourth quarter to get right before the long touchdown run from Patterson. So as far as the skill position players going, the running backs, the wide receivers, and the tight ends, those guys are coming into their own right when Virginia Tech needs them to be. I will say it was nice seeing the Greensboro connection between Hendon Hooker and uh, Trey Turner for that long, long touchdown. I think it was 55 yards uh, on the double move. It looked like a page out of Duke's book, what they what they threw at Virginia Tech. But, um, yeah, I mean, they look, it, Hendon looked good. I mean, any quarterback with those two weapons on the field is going to look good. Of course, a lot of other guys stepped up, like you mentioned, at the skill positions. Uh, Deshaun McLeese, Dalton Keene, playing a little bit of running back, doing a little bit of everything. Evan, what did you what did you think about Dalton Keene and Deshaun McLeese? Oh, I absolutely love Dalton Keene as a running back. I'm probably one of the few that really, really love that. So that's some old school football right there. That's, that's you know, putting in a jumbo package playing an H-back or a fullback, getting tough yards. I'm all for it. Dalton Keene was, um, you know, everybody looked at him as, as a big-time tight end coming out of high school, but he was a high school running back. Uh, he kind of did everything, um, you know, out in, out in Colorado. So it wasn't really new to him to be running the ball, and I think it added a wrinkle that UNC wasn't prepared for. Um, it also really helped Deshaun McLeese because as much as Deshaun McLeese is coming into his own, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Deshaun McLeese is not a 20-carry back. He, he's not a guy that's going to handle that workload. So having a second back with Deshaun King a little banged up um, and some other running backs that, uh, you know, haven't performed to their potential or maybe, be trying, you know, a guy like Taj Gary you're trying to save for a red shirt, don't want to overuse him. Jalen Holston's still injured. I think it was a good move by Virginia Tech to, to uh, allow Dalton King to kind of transition into that role a little bit throughout the game and I think it definitely caught some people off guard but 
you know, I really liked it. I think it's something that Virginia Tech should keep doing. I wouldn't even mind seeing James Mitchell in that role a little bit as well. I think he's another guy that could probably do a similar to, to Dalton Keene, picking up, you know, a little bit of yardage here and there, some tough running, and catching some guys off guard. I, I think that it was a really good wrinkle that, you know, I think Jerry Kill had to have kind of a hand in that one. I know he gets a lot of credit. He's probably the most popular guy right now in Blacksburg <laughs> because when things are going well, everybody's going to say that must have been Jerry Kill's call or that must have been something that Jerry Kill brought to the table. But, you know, I think that uh, putting a tight end at running back it definitely seems to be, you know, it, it just seems like he has his hands all over that one. So, you know, I like that a lot. I also think, um, you know, Justin Fuente's credited Deshaun McLeese with the way that he handled allowing, you know, the, the, of splitting of reps with Dalton Keene at running back. I think people have failed to realize over the last few years, um, Deshaun McLeese is a major team first guy. He has been since he was in high school. It was never all about him. Um, but we're starting to finally see it. Uh, you know, behind the scenes, he's not a flashy, uh, flashy guy that's going to go out. and um, You know, he's not going to be big on social media. He's not going to be in your face. Um, but he's going to grind out some yards. He's going to rally the guys in the background. Um, he, and he really puts the team, you know, he puts his all into the team. Um, you know, I think that he's a guy that we're just now seeing that when, you know, when he was in high school, he was a guy that we always talked about. Um, and, and that was a big win for Virginia Tech to get him. He is, he was breaking records at Oscar Smith, who was, you know, one of the best teams in the state. Uh, he, he was a guy that was unstoppable at the high school level. And then he got out to Virginia Tech, and he had two straight years of injuries. And people kind of forgot about him. And then he kind of, you know, had the, the stigma of not being a hard runner, maybe, you know, dancing too much, couldn't break arm tackles, things like that. And then he comes into this year, which would be his true senior year, if my math is correct. I think it's either his true or would be his redshirt senior year. But because of the injuries, he's been already granted a sixth year. So he's listed as a junior. Um, and he's breaking arm tackles. He's showing off some really good vision. Um, you know, the, the the one thing that I think he does lack is top-end speed. Um, he's not a guy that's going to break off some massive runs and outrun everybody. But he's shown, you know, he can be deadly in screens. He can be deadly, um, you know, getting the ball in the backfield uh, as a tailback. He can split out if needed. I think he's a guy that's really bringing a lot to the table. We're seeing him really grow and blossom this year into what we all thought he could be. Um, and it's exciting to see that he has another year after this and see what he can continue to develop into. But yeah, I think the run game over the last few weeks has really started to improve. It's not where it needs to be yet, but it is getting a lot better. It's a little bit of a better brand of football um, from Virginia Tech, and they're starting to finally get an offensive identity, which I think is, is nice to see. Yeah, it's just weird, though. It's like they're running the ball so well. Of course, it helps to have a dual-threat quarterback, but they're you know they're looking for someone like Dalton Keene to come in the backfield and spell some carries. I mean, it feels like there's so many situations because of injuries or that you know they're just trying to figure out a formula, but right now it seems to be working, uh, at least for that last game against UNC. Uh, in, in the case of Deshaun McLeese, I think he really stepped up over the past few weeks. And I'm excited to see him for the next seven years, as it seems like he's never going to leave. But, uh, Doug, what do you think about the running game? Yeah, just a, I mean, 
you got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line, first of all, once Patterson comes into the game. And it becomes pretty obvious pretty much immediately that it's going to be a run-heavy quarterback power type game. And, um, 122 yards from Patterson on the ground. 53 of them came on that big long run there. But, um, you know, to have success running the ball when everybody knows that you're running the ball for two quarters is pretty impressive um, from the offensive line. But um, Evan covered it. McLeese has been great the last four weeks. Um, was looking at some stats today. And the first three games, um, if I can remember this correctly, first three games, Deshaun McLeese was averaging 2.9 yards per carry. And that was against Boston College, Furman, and Old Dominion. And um, the four games since, he's at like 6.1 yards per carry. So just a huge improvement from him. Um, and, then, and then getting keen there, running back, you know, Fuente has talked about it over the last couple of games. It's why they tried to have Taj Gary out there. They're just trying to get a little bit bigger to kind of um, combat what McLeese doesn't have. Because, you know, everybody knows McLeese is a small, a small back. So they're trying to get a little bit bigger there. But I think the big thing with Ian, um, he's kind of playing that Sam Rogers type role. But when you think about the skill position players, if you're trying to get the best five guys on the field at the skill position. That would be Turner, Hazelton, James Mitchell, Davion Robinson, and Dalton Keene. Maybe you can get them all five on the field, and obviously playing Keene at, at running back gives you that gives you that opportunity. I mean, I think that's, that's got to drive defensive coordinators crazy trying to figure out, you know, all the different ways for getting Tech to attack you on offense. So, Keshawn King's probably going to come back but, you know, if Deshaun McLeese is all of a sudden making people miss in the hole and all that stuff, King, that's kind of what separated him from McLeese in the first half of the year. But if McLeese is going to do that, then I think you, you might see a lot more of King at running back going forward, uh, not just this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly interested to see what Virginia Tech will do after the bye week. I think it's a very innovative strategy. I love seeing it. Um, I never even thought about it and, and just seeing it was kind of cool. Obviously the fumble hurt, but you know, outside of that, it is truly awesome thinking about a backfield with Quincy Patterson and Dalton Keene that averages six, four and, you know, is nearly 500 pounds combined. So uh, yeah, that, that definitely wore down uh, UNC over the course of all those overtimes but I do want to give some credit to the defensive side of the ball. They made some big stops, specifically in those overtime periods. Some guys that stood out to me were Narelle Pollard, Mario Kendricks, Gerard Hewitt had a huge game, a huge bounce back game. And uh, Khalil Ladler, I mean, he came out of nowhere and was forcing plays all over in overtime. Uh, should have had an interception, but made a lot of plays to make up for it. And then, Personally, my MVP for this defense, Rayshard Ashby. But, Dog, we'll go back to you. Uh, what did you make of, of the performance of the defense? They, you know, it was interesting. They kind of got better as, as we got into the fourth quarter in the overtime in terms of the pressure they were getting on Howell, um, the lockdown defense. I mean, it's hard to – particularly the first four, four overtimes when you're defending 25 yards and 
you know, a couple of those possessions, if UNC, if one coverage is blown, the game is over. Um, and Virginia Tech handled it incredibly well. Uh, Ladler comes up big, this monster from two plays in a row there and assist in six overtime um, for a guy that, you know, I don't, you know, he's probably the Devin Hunter's backup and then Reggie Floyd comes in at Rover, but then Jamari Connor, who's the guy that was playing so well all year at rough game, and then I think he got banged up there. Now all of a sudden, Lather's in at his spot um, as a guy that lost his starting job, hasn't played much, you know, just a, a backup who's playing on special teams essentially gets thrust into the into the starting eleven there. And, the fourth quarter of a wild game and he comes up with two monster plays. I've got to get a lot of credit to him. And um, he touched on Ashby, 17 tackles. I think he was named linebacker of the week again this this week. And, I mean, we've been talking about him as, like, like we always call him, like, solid or, or like, he's the guy that you don't have to worry about. He's not going to make any mistakes. But I think that's kind of selling him short. He's... He's very, very good. He's going to make plays in the backfield and um, fill gaps. I mean, a couple times in the overtime, just watching him kind of slice through into the backfield, he made big plays left and right too. So um, I think the one, the one negative, I think, I guess if it's a negative, with Caleb Farley getting injured. I mean, he was he was the shutdown cornerback there in the first half. They want to get him back, but I mean the defense. Norrell Pollard, you mentioned it coming, the defensive tackles were huge in this game. And I don't think, you know, if you go back to the August, even maybe even the first couple weeks of the year, the whole last 12 months, everybody's been talking about defensive tackle and what a struggle it's going to be and how, how weak Virginia Tech is at that position and all that. And then you get to this game and the defensive tackles come up huge. Um, so you got to give a lot of credit to those guys that certainly have in Pollard in the lineup for the next three or four years looks pretty good for Virginia Tech. Yeah, and Evan and I were talking earlier on the phone, and we were talking about Norrell Pollard, Mario Kendricks. I said they reminded me a little bit of Corey Marshall and Luther Matty. But, Evan, for you, what I know the defense, you know, they gave up a lot of points. They gave up a lot of yards. Sam Howell, Daz Newsome, they looked really potent. But what did you make at, for the performance as a whole? I was pleasantly surprised to watch them grow up throughout the game. Um, you know, one thing that, that I've been very vocal about, probably, you know, I was one of the only people fighting the fight, is that Caleb Farley is a corner. Everybody wanted to put him at wide receiver. People didn't believe the hype that he could be a shutdown corner. Um, and, and he's shown that he has continued to work at his trade. He's continued. And need to, to work hard in the offseason. And, you know, a little credit there also should go to Terrell Edmonds, who took Caleb Farley under his wing and taught him how to be a, a defensive back. They spent a lot of time together in the offseason just working and honing on their skills. Um, so, you know, I think that he has really, really stepped up this year and continues to play at a high level. Um, you know, two guys that weren't really talked about, or I'll say three guys that weren't really talked about, um, you know, between you and Doug so far. I think Devin Hunter played a fantastic game for his first start in a year, um, starting at Rover, filling in for, for Reggie Floyd. I think that 
you know, he, he didn't do anything overly flashy, but he didn't, you didn't hear his name called in a bad way. You can't look at any plays and say, you know, Devin Hunter messed up this play or this play didn't, you know, uh, UNC was able to, to advance the ball because of Devin Hunter had a missed tackle or a, a blown assignment. I think he played really well at Rover. He did his job. And that's all you can really ask uh, of a guy that's coming in to fill in for a, for a starter that was suspended. And I think that really helps not only, uh, you know, you look at Virginia Tech in the future, not only does that help solidify a little bit in the back end there, um, but it also gives more credit to Virginia Tech possibly being able to do a little bit more for rotation. They've done it a little so far with Evan and Reggie, um, but maybe they'll be able to, to truly rotate a little bit more and help Devin get his feet wet, um, help Reggie when he's struggling a little bit because he's, had had some of those moments this year where he's been struggling. Having a guy like Devin Hunter step up in a game like this might be just enough to give Bud Foster, you know, and Justin Hamilton the ammunition to say, hey, you know, Reggie's, Reggie's struggling a little bit. Maybe let's sit him for a series and, and insert Devin. I think that that really does help. Um, you know, also with Caleb Farley going down as well as he was playing, it opened the door for Armani Chapman. Um, we're seeing this, this guy continue to grow and develop as well. Um, you know, he has been picked on a little bit before, uh, you know, with his play. Um, and he was he was targeted a little bit uh, this game as well. But we're starting to see him really come into his own, which I think is exciting. Um, for Virginia Tech to play at their best, they can't just have two corners that are playing at a high level. They need to be able to have a rotational guy at minimum. And he's really shown that he can be a guy that can do that. Um, you know, my third guy that wasn't talked about much, and if you look at the stat sheet, you won't find him often. Um, but if you go back and you see the handful of snaps he played, I think Jaden Cunningham was really impressive. Um, he's a JUCO defensive tackle, played his first game at Virginia Tech, probably only recorded eight snaps maybe. His stamina is not where it needs to be. But he's a guy that's, you know, he's massive. When he gets on the line, you can tell he's there. And he gets he, he gets some push. Um, I mean, he, he was generating uh, some power from the defensive tackle position. He was getting into the backfield and, and kind of being disruptive. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to be a big-time player this year. If I'm Virginia Tech, he's already missed a, a bunch of games. Try to preserve him four games, um, get him a red shirt. He's got two years of, of remaining field eligibility. Um, so if he were to redshirt this year, he could have two more years in Blacksburg. Um, and I think he's a guy that has shown that he can bring a high motor and a lot of uh, a lot of power. He's a very strong kid. He's benching over 400 pounds, I've heard, uh, up in Blacksburg right now. He's a guy that is, is a grown man at the position. So, you know, if they can preserve him and get him four games this year and try to insert him into the uh, the defensive tackle rotation next year, you know, I think that really speaks to the future of the, of the Virginia Tech defense. Uh, I think that he can be a guy that can eventually be an anchor and help with guys like Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks and, you know, Gerard Hewitt, who, you know, we've all been been probably tougher than we needed to be on Gerard Hewitt, but he really did step up on, uh, on Saturday, so that was nice to see. But, you know, other than the ones that you all picked out, the, the, those were my three that kind of flew a little under the radar, I think played very well. Um, and, and if you go back and watch the film and kind of key in on them, I think they were guys that really helped make an impact. Let's talk about where Virginia Tech is right now and what it means. Five and two. I don't think anyone expected Virginia Tech to get to this point the way that they have. 
It's been such a strange season so far. The ACC Coastal is so unpredictable. Georgia Tech beat Miami last weekend. I mean, it's it's just craziness. But the fact that Virginia Tech is now 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in the ACC, beating Miami and UNC, losing to Boston College and Duke. I mean, Doug, for you, you know, what is the potential of this team? And, and what do you think of, of the current status of Virginia Tech? Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about considering kind of where the program was as a whole after after Duke sitting at 0-2 in the, in the ACC with a road trip to Miami coming up the next week. Got to give a lot of credit to the players and the coaches for keeping this thing on track and, and getting, I mean, they went undefeated in October, which is um, pretty remarkable. And they're right in the thick of the coastal race. Um you know, the coastal chaos. Never know, really know what's going to happen, but I think they're they put themselves in probably as good a position as as you could want right now. Um, after at least that, after how the the season began, in terms of you know they don't play another conference game until November 9th. So for the next two weeks, there's a handful of coastal or conference games that you know it's going to be. ACC teams beating up on ACC teams, whether it's, um, I think you got UVA and Louisville this weekend, UVA plays Carolina, Duke plays Carolina, so you're going to have a lot of teams beating up on each other, so by the time Virginia Tech takes the field against Wake Forest, they'll, they'll still be 2-2, two and, two and they'll know exactly kind of the path that the, they need to take the last four games, so, you know, they get a bye week here right before November to kind of rest up and get everybody healthy. Um, when you talk about guys like Hazelton and Turner, who've been banged up and just recently back to 100%, I think that's huge for them. Um, probably really helpful for the de- the young defensive tackles like Pollard, who are eight games or seven games into their college career. So um, great timing for the bye week. And then you go to Notre Dame. You know, you can't really expect too much there, but it's a – you know, it's a game you have nothing to lose. Everybody expects Notre Dame to win that game. It's not a conference game, so um, they can kind of go up there and let it all let it all out on the field and see what happens, and then and then come back home and, and get ready for four big ones to finish the year. So when you talk about where where the program and the team was, you know, after a forty-five cent against Duke at home, um, the turnaround here in October was pretty remarkable. It is crazy to think about less than a month ago, the state of the program, the fans that were willing to cancel everything, find a new team, and and now it seems like there's hope again. And, you know, being inside Lane Stadium, seeing all the fans after the game, walking around town, hearing what all the recruits had to say, it just feels like there's new life in this program and that now the players, the coaches, the fans are seeing evidence that Virginia Tech can compete. Now, I'm not saying, you know, they should be in the race for an ACC championship berth, but it is good to know that now we can look at this team, look at how they're fighting through adversity. It's never going to be perfect on both sides of the ball, but there's enough talent there. There's enough willingness to improve, and it feels like, you know, maybe outside of Notre Dame that, 
uh, Virginia Tech has a chance in each one of these games. Now, I don't know how it's going to go. The ACC Coastal has just been so wild that it feels like this is the craziest year, at least for me, to cover this this program because it feels like every prediction, especially this year, I feel like anything can happen to any of these teams. Um, but I will say outside of Notre Dame, I think Virginia Tech has very good chances against the rest of the ACC slate. Evan, for you, uh, do you echo those thoughts? Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at where Virginia Tech is now, um, especially to look at the pulse of the program uh, and the fans. It it, it definitely seemed like a lot of the fans thought after that Duke game, Virginia Tech would never win another game. It was kind of all doom or gloom, which when you're dealing with one of the, the more passionate fan bases in America, you can kind of understand that a little bit because uh, you know you, a lot of fans invest a lot in these kids and in the this, in this program, um, you know Virginia Tech. But on the other hand, on the other hand, it's you know that's not realistic at all. Virginia Tech is going to bounce back. They're going to win some more football games. It's just you know kind of riding the wave and see what happens. But you know I, I thought Virginia Tech would be um, you know probably six and one right now. Um, I thought Miami was going to be a, a bigger challenge, um, and I, I thought Virginia Tech would be able to, to knock off Duke and Boston College. But, you know, uh, the way that it's fallen, the way that this team has bounced back, the adversity they've gone through, and, you know, you see some of these guys um, on social media, some of the players talking about how people have counted them out and how, um, you know, they only believe in, their, in each other and they don't listen to outside noise and things like that you're seeing this team grow up and you're seeing this team really start to get mature. Um, and I think a big part of that is having a little bit of leadership, having a little bit more of a relaxed Fuente. Now he's still, um, you know, he's still calling some shots in, in practice. He's still going to be, you know, strict when he, where, where he needs to be, but he is a little bit more relaxed now. And, and I think that we're seeing some dividends paid off of that. Um, you know, I, I think moving forward, I'm with you that Virginia Tech will have a chance um, with these ACC games, if college football has shown us anything over the last couple of weeks, any team can lose to anybody at any given time. You know, even if you're a Alabama, there's always an opportunity you can falter. I mean, Clemson, Clemson's one of the best in the country, have been for a while. They almost lost to UNC. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things, especially in the ACC. Anybody can beat anybody at any time. It's going to be interesting to see how the next couple of weeks unfold, what key injuries come out for not only Virginia Tech, but, but for other programs, um, and, and just kind of how you can continue to ride the wave to find a way to win the uh, weekend and week out. But, you know, I think the Hokies have a chance. You know, it's, it's not something I would write. I wouldn't write Virginia Tech off as a chance to, to continue to push and try to make it to the ACC championship, but I also wouldn't you know, book my plane tickets today. I don't think that that's realistic either. So, you know, we'll see what happens, kind of ride the wave, see what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a fun ride the next few weeks. Final thought before we close the chapter officially on UNC. This might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I am so much more in favor for this UNC and Virginia Tech rivalry than I am for the Commonwealth Cup. Uh, I, I think both teams were so even in so many different ways, and it's going to be really fun with the type of talent that Mac Brown is recruiting down there. I think these games are going to get a lot more intense, if that's even possible, 
Um, you know, it's hard to beat that last game in Lane Stadium, but you know, this one's going to be a fun series for a long time. But uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us. And, and Doug, you know, I am a little disappointed that Oscar Bradburn didn't participate in a fake punt. I mean, UNC had one. It seemed like other ACC schools had one, but I had a lot of people messaging me about a shaved head. So a little unfortunate there. There, there were a couple situations there where I thought, you know, it might, you know, Virginia Tech's got a little fourth and short here. It, it could work out. Um, but I guess, I guess we'll have to save that one for another time. You know, like James Shebeth's always keeping things in his back pocket. Maybe he didn't want to show anything for maybe, you know, Notre Dame coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, maybe I have to double down on that in another podcast, but we'll see. Uh, for Evan, we have some interesting things coming later this week, but thanks for hopping on. Yeah, no problem. Have a great night.